Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Authentic Self, an interview with Karen Maloney. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Karen Maloney. Karen Maloney is a 33-year-old woman from Cold Spring Harbor, New York, currently living in London, England. Ms. Maloney was 18 years old when she started experiencing the symptoms of a tick disease. She was forced to leave college at Indiana University and return home to try to find an answer to her health issues. Ms. Maloney received homeopathic treatment and was asymptomatic for six years. She was working in the fashion industry when her office at work was flooded and became moldy. As a result, Ms. Maloney experienced severe relapse that included neurological symptoms. After being diagnosed with Lyme disease, Ms. Maloney was treated with 30 days of doxycycline. She started to work for a new fashion company, traveling the world, and met her future husband, and thought her Lyme disease was cured. In 2018, Ms. Maloney was under a lot of stress. She was constantly traveling between London and New York and was planning a wedding. Unfortunately, her symptoms returned more strongly than ever. She is currently combating her chronic Lyme with biomagnetism, and she has also switched careers. Ms. Maloney joined the team developing the WANA app, which stands for We Are Not Alone. Ms. Maloney's personal transformation allowed her to join the effort to help individuals with chronic illness to connect. Hey, Karen Maloney, and welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, we're really blessed to have you. Can you share with us where you live, Karen? Yes, I currently live in London, um, but I'm from Coldstone Harbor, Long Island. And Karen, what do you do in London? Right now, I have the pleasure of working for an app that is based in the U.S. for chronic illness. Um, so I pretty much source all the content that goes into that. And what's your relationship status? I'm married. And how long have you been married? So I got married in 2018, so it'll be almost two years. Um, and we have a fur baby named Mickey. <laughs> and your fur baby, of course, is your dog, Mickey? Yeah, that's my dog. Karen, can you share with us when you first began to show the symptoms of your tick disease? Yeah, so this started in the summer of 2004. It was uh, the 4th of July. Um, I had just come back from a weekend in the Hamptons, um, and overnight I pretty much experienced this intense and severe exhaustion for two months, and I just felt like I had a fever that no one could figure out, nobody knew what it was, um, and that was kind of the beginning of it. And how old were you when you first started showing these symptoms? I was 18. And by the way, the Hamptons are the eastern part of Long Island, very close to where the Lyme disease ticks were initially caught and tested by uh, Dr. Willie Bergdorfer. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So you're out on eastern Long Island. Uh, do you find a tick biting you or anything like that? No, I didn't find anything on me. I just um, was living my life normally, didn't think anything of it. So I had no idea what could have been causing it. So where were you in your life at that time? Were you in high school? You were in college? What, what, where were you and what were you planning to do? So I was just ready to go off to Indiana University, which I was really excited about. And this was about two months before I was supposed to go away. So it was a very daunting time of my life when I was experiencing these symptoms, but didn't exactly know what was causing it. But anyway, I still ended up going, but I started to experience them in more severity when I was there. So why were you planning to go to Indiana University? Meaning, what were, you, what were your dreams and what were you seeking to do when you were going to IU? So I have always heard it was a great school. I visited it and I fell in love. Um, I was very career oriented at that time. And, you know, I had just the typical dreams of someone in high school wanting to get a great job. And I wanted to either be in communications or media 
or fashion, which is where I ended up for, for a little bit. But yeah, I was very, very driven. Um, you know, I was a great student. I was just ready to take off in the next chapter of my life and was really excited about it. What was your social life like at the time that you had first shown the symptoms of your tick disease? So I was very social. Uh, and once that happened, I was re- pretty much I was non-existent for the two years. I mean, the two months that I was experiencing those symptoms just because they were so intense. So, you know, I didn't have much of a summer that um, particular year just because I was so fatigued um, and I could barely get out of bed for those two months. So it was really tough on me. During the two-month period where you first showed your symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease, how did that affect your, your family? Yeah, they were very alarmed. They were concerned just because they knew my personality and they knew it wasn't like me to stay in bed. And, you know, they were catering to me. They'd go out to the store and get me food or drinks or whatever. And I just wasn't able to be social. Um, it was the summer before I was going away to school. And um, I was very active as a teenager and a child. I did a lot of sports and I almost went to school for soccer. It was not like me at all. So they were very concerned, but they just genuinely didn't know what to do. How did how did this window of time impact your friends? And were you in any kind of a romantic relationship? And did the two months out of commission have an impact on any romantic relationships you were involved in? Um, not at that time. I mean, I was single before I was going to college, so I was just kind of enjoying my life. But with my friends, you know, that was the last year that you're together. And, you know, you just kind of start to be a little bit more isolated and they don't really understand how sick you really are. And, um, you know, no one can really understand if they're in your shoes, but they, you know, I, I think at the time they just felt like maybe I was being a little bit dramatic or, Maybe it wasn't as bad as I was making it seem, but yeah, I was, I felt a little isolated from my friends that summer. It was, it was pretty tough. How did it make you feel knowing that your friends thought maybe you were being a bit of a drama queen? Um, well, you know, it was something I struggled with at the time. Um, and it's something I've, I've struggled with throughout this whole journey in my life, but yeah, it was, it was not easy on me just because, you know, you don't have this sense of validation and then it starts to make you feel like maybe you are exaggerating or maybe you're not experiencing these symptoms that you think you are. So, you know, you almost get a little guarded from that, but it's, it's definitely not easy to deal with. So after this two-month window, you do leave for Indiana and you begin your college career at Indiana University, correct? Correct. And how did your symptoms develop and what impact did your symptoms have on your ability to have a good experience as a freshman at Indiana University? Well, I was very excited to be there. It was, you know, my dream school. And um, in the beginning, I was meeting so many people. It was that year that everyone's kind of getting to know each other and you're socializing literally every night of the week and, you know, going to classes and creating your friendship circles. And I was developing so many symptoms that just really prevented me from being able to function. Um, I was spending my time going to doctors and, um, you know, one would say I had strep or tonsillitis and I couldn't do anything. And they'd advise me to be in bed. But at the same time, I wasn't feeling well enough to be social anyway. So um, I struggled with trying to push myself and trying to make, make it seem like I was able to cope and still have a good experience, but deep down it was really tough and I was probably crying to my parents, you know, on a weekly basis. What were the symptoms that were developing when you first went away to college and how were those symptoms specifically impacting your ability to learn and your ability to develop social contacts? Yeah, so during that time, um, most of my symptoms were pretty much like the flu. That was how I would describe it. Um, I had a lot of 
fevers, swelling lymph nodes, and they thought I had tonsillitis. I was getting strep throat constantly um, and just really, really, really intense fatigue that would just keep me in bed until almost 3 p.m., but just severe lethargy and just really unable to function. Now, of course, you were moving from the East Coast, and actually you're a New York gal, and you're moving to the Midwest. <laughs> and of course, that's going to create all kinds of new cultural issues that would be a part of any person going from the East Coast to the Midwest. Did your Lyme disease symptoms create even greater challenges for you adjusting to the new culture and the new people that you were going to be spending time with? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't be yourself when you don't feel well. So I think that already sets you back. And even though you can push through it, you're still not totally on your A game. I was lucky because I had my best friend there with me. She knew how much I was struggling. So she was actually kind of the only person who could really validate that I was experiencing something, even though nobody really knew what it was. It was a bit of a mystery, but I really depended on her a little bit. And I don't know what I would have done without her if I wasn't feeling any better, but we kind of had each other to rely on. So that was actually really helpful for me. But otherwise it was, you know, it's a challenge if you're not feeling well and you're not feeling like yourself, it's very hard to organically make connections and, you know, meet other people. So let's talk about your best friend who you went to college with. How did your tick disease symptoms impact her? And it, did she at some point get sick of you being sick? She totally did. <laughs> Um, you know, we used to make jokes just because I was always coughing or doing something annoying and it was just an everyday occurrence and she would end up making jokes about it. You know, obviously I was struggling, but we, nobody knew what to do. So it just became almost kind of comical or like, what is going on? It's just Karen being sick again, or, you know, she just kind of accepted it, but I was very lucky that she accepted it, but it was something that you couldn't ignore. And, you know, she tried to support, but it was, it was definitely, it was tough on her. One of the things that I understand as a father of four daughters is that a young woman's early uh, experiences at college are going to have an impact on whether or not they have a good college experience. And in fact, whether they're going to stay at that college. Do you believe that your illness had a detrimental effect to your having uh, the kind of experience you wanted at IU? And did that cause you to want to leave school? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, and it's something I've thought about, you know, even after the fact, but my dream was to go to Indiana and to finish school. And, and I didn't have that opportunity. So I ended up having to leave just because I was so sick and go back home and explore different avenues to help me feel better by visiting different doctors and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. So for me, you know, it, it didn't give me the opportunity to actually have a real experience at a university for four years and somewhere I really wanted to be and was excited to be. So I was, I was always disappointed about that for sure. So how did your symptoms develop after you left IU? So it was probably, you know, I didn't even finish the full year. It was May, I guess, that I had left. Um, but they were so severe that I just couldn't function. It was affecting my ability to go to class. My parents thought it was best that I come home and, and see the doctors locally because they weren't able to help me um, working from a distance. And I would come home and I was sleeping probably 18 hours a day. And my parents just did not know what to do. Um, we were going from doctor to doctor. Everything was coming out normal on tests, even though I was feeling absolutely terrible. And we just really weren't getting anywhere for a bit. So how did it make you feel 
when you were going to doctors, you were taking tests and the doctors were telling you that there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, they were telling me nothing was wrong until it became one doctor had mentioned they thought I had chronic fatigue syndrome. And I remember Googling it and I, my heart sank when I saw what it was online and, and you know, the, the articles were saying it's something you can't cure. It's something that you would have forever. It can cause extreme uh, fatigue and, you know, dramatically impact your life. And so I was feeling really upset about that. And I just felt like there was something wrong with me and, and I didn't know what it was, but it was very, very, very disheartening. Were there any people in your life at that time, because you looked good and because the doctors were not coming up with a diagnosis, were there any people in your life that questioned whether or not you were being a drama queen or, or were not really sick? Yeah. I mean, so I wouldn't talk about it a lot of the time, except to the people that were very close to me. So I think a lot of people probably had no idea what I was going through, even though I was really struggling. Um, and that happened throughout periods of my life, but I got very good at kind of hiding it because I looked well, you know, I, um, looked healthy on the outside, but obviously I had a lot going on internally. Um, but yeah, I think there were people who genuinely didn't understand, probably thought I was exaggerating, especially because I didn't have anything to label myself with or a proper diagnosis. So something that, you know, especially when you're dealing with people who are in their 18 to 20 or 22 years old, um, that's not part of your world normally. You know, you, everyone's pretty healthy at that, that period of time. So it was completely foreign to everyone. So Karen, after you left school, a few months later, you found a doctor who gave you a combination diagnosis and recommended a certain treatment therapy that actually helped you. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So my mom went to a uh, free seminar. It was from, or it was, I guess someone had, had told her about it. It was at a place called Wild by Nature, which you guys might be familiar with. So this is their Huntington location. And he just hosted some Free, free workshop and basically explained um, what his services were. And, and he specializes in Lyme disease in all sorts of chronic illnesses, but that's his main specialty along with Epstein-Barr and mono, that kind of thing. So everything under that chronic fatigue umbrella. And so what he does is he does muscle testing. He'll have you lay down on a table and he'll test all of your organs. Basically, he'll, he'll test your liver, he'll test your kidneys, um, and he'll see what areas are weak in your body. And then he will hold a vial up to test with that and he'll see what is weakening you. So for me, it was Epstein-Barr. It was things like candida. It was liver toxicity. And there were a few other things as well. Um, but those were my main issues at the time. And he was able to give me homeopathics with muscle testing to pretty much treat whatever it was that was harming me at the time. Karen, for our listeners, can you describe in more detail what muscle testing was like from your standpoint as a patient? Yeah, I mean, this was a completely new concept to me. So I'd never heard about it before. And I was kind of blown away by it just because it wasn't anything I was used to. But pretty much I would lay down on the table and he would take my right arm and put it up in the air. Um, and he would put pressure on it to basically see how my muscle reacted. Um, and if it showed a reaction to something that basically would cause it to move or um, to not do that actually, the opposite. Um, and he would pull on my, my arm to see how it was reacting to see what was affecting me. So it was very simple, you know, it's, har it's harmless. He would just touch me lightly and then just hold up different remedies against my body 
Um, I actually found it calming. So I was just laying there usually for a few minutes and he would find things, you know, within a couple of minutes. Um, and so, yeah, it's very simple. It's quick and yeah, it was highly, highly accurate. So it was something very new to me and, and something I ended up investing, you know, the rest of my, my years in. And this doctor you were seeing here on Long Island in New York actually prescribed you a homeopathic remedy or treatment. And can you describe in a little bit more detail what this homeopathic remedy was? So they, so there are multiple brands. I mean, he probably had about 500 different remedies that would be targeted for different issues. Um, and so there would be either kits of say 10 vials that would basically be giving you a little bit of exposure to the virus or the pathogen, whatever it is, but it's desensitizing you to it at the same time. So he would have me on, whether it was a kit or a dropper, you would just put it in your mouth, take it three times a day, or you would just take a vial once or twice a day, and you're supposed to feel relief. And it was a game changer for me. It was the only thing that made me feel better, and I almost felt better pretty much immediately every single time. So at this point, you received this homeopathic treatment, and you were then asymptomatic for almost six years, it sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my life was completely so. When I first came home, I remember I was sitting in my window looking outside, and my goal was literally to just be able to walk down the street for 15 minutes a day. Once I went to that doctor at the time, I literally had my life back. I was back with my friends that summer having drinks, felt completely normal, um, and from there, I pretty much just focused on uh, a homeopathic um, and holistic way of healing. Um, and that became a really integral part of my life. So, Did you stay on this homeopathic remedy throughout that six-year window? Or is it something that you stopped and remained asymptomatic with? So I would do little check-ins. It would be once a year, maybe once every two years, if I had felt a little bit of fatigue or just needed a little boost. But for the most part, I was completely completely free of any symptoms. You're now symptom-free. Did you return to college? Did you stay at home? What were you doing with your life at this point? No. So I ended up finishing college locally. I worked for my dad just because I wasn't sure how long I was going to be feeling better, if I needed to stay home. Um, and then I actually started a relationship that lasted for six years. So I ended up staying home on Long Island for the rest of those six years. Were you able to graduate at the local college you went to? Yep. Yep. I graduated and then I ended up changing careers. I went into fashion. I had a friend who was very high up in a shoe company at the time. So that was kind of my in in the fashion industry and I absolutely loved it. So that kind of started a whole new chapter of my life. While I was still living on Long Island, I was living with my boyfriend at the time there. So Karen, you're the arc of your life changes as a consequence of getting sick. You leave the college of your dreams, you now go to college locally, you change careers, and then what happens? So I was doing um, really well for you know, that period of time. It was 2011 that we had moved into a new office, which was by the water, um, and I went into work one day. There was a, a, a bad flooding. Um, and the, the floors of the office were all carpeted. And I remember I walked into the office that day and it smelled so messy. And I ended up throwing up just because I felt so sick. Um, and I had to go home because I was dizzy and I was just having all these weird symptoms. Um, and so that was when I was first exposed to mold. Um, and that was a completely new thing for me. I wasn't familiar with any of the issues with mold or, or how it could affect you. 
And so that actually started an entire um, new set of symptoms. Those were more neurological. And that was something that I wasn't getting any relief from for, you know, weeks at a time. It just, it didn't go away. So that was a whole new thing that I had to explore. So Karen, you had gotten over your illness and you were doing really well. And I'm assuming some of the people that you had in your life were still the people that are in your life now. Now let's talk about those people first. Were there any people that are doubting that you were really sick again after this six year hiatus of symptoms? Um, well, so I was in a relationship at the time um, and he had no idea what was going on with me. You know, we had tried a lot of different doctors. I was still going to the homeopathic doctor who usually helped me with everything, but for some reason he wasn't completely able to help me with all of my symptoms with this one. So everyone was a little perplexed. And so he would get very frustrated and, you know, it would end up in us getting into arguments or he didn't completely understand that I didn't feel well to do something or to go to a family outing or, you know, I actually missed a wedding that I was supposed to be in. Um, it was one of my, my best friend's weddings that I was just too sick to participate. And she had a really, really tough time understanding and didn't talk to me for a while because of that. So what kinds of things were you missing out in addition to the social? I mean, was the reintegration of your symptoms or the uh, reignition of your symptoms causing you to uh, have problems at work? Yeah, I ended up taking some time off. Um, I, I had an issue going into the office after I realized that mold might have been an issue for me. Um, you know, I ended up telling them that there was no way I could work in that environment. And I wasn't physically able to, especially because I was having neurological symptoms. Um, you know, fatigue, I was able to kind of combat and manage and force myself through. But the neurological ones, I just was not able to function at all. Um, and so it got to a point where I ended up telling them, like, this is just not an option for me. So I would work from home um, until they moved to their New York City office. Then I started working in that office, which was months down the road. But yeah, I wasn't able to work the way that I was. And it really, really affected my ability to even comprehend things or to learn, to do things with numbers, just, you know, have organizational skills, things that were so easy to me that I would complete without even thinking about. Um, it, was a, it was a big struggle. So now, how are you feeling about yourself, maybe just spiritually, about having now a second really bad experience after regaining your life after the first bad experience you had? Yeah, I was overwhelmed. I was really, really scared, to be honest. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get out of this one, and I didn't know who to turn to. I wasn't finding much information online, and I was if I did find information, it wasn't very positive, and not very supportive. So I was really struggling. I think my parents were kind of fed up because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to help. I was having a lot of emotional outbursts because I felt completely helpless and alone from a doctor's point of view, from, you know, the, the family and friend support. I just felt very on my own and isolated. And it was, it was much tougher than it was the first time around. Did you think the universe was just treating you unfairly because you were just now really sick for a second time? Yeah, I did. I thought it was just really bad luck and I just genuinely didn't know anyone that this has ever happened to. And I felt like I was the only person on this planet that was going through something crazy like this. So I genuinely was at a loss and I, I didn't know how to go on. Can you describe for us what your neurological symptoms were like? 
Yeah. So the most challenging symptom for me was something that it, people know it as depersonalization. So you almost feel like you're high is the only way I can describe it. And I was just feeling completely detached from myself. Like I was, you know, like I had had a few drinks, very, very fuzzy and brain foggy. Um, but I was also experiencing dizziness, kind of like the room was spinning, but also like I was very off balance. Those were the worst symptoms for me, just the neurological ones. And then, you know, word recall, things um, with my memory and just feeling just very out of it. So at this point, it's probably scary to go out and do everyday things like even going for a walk, going grocery shopping and even driving. So how do these symptoms impact your ability to drive, socialize and go out and do everyday tasks? Yeah, so that you're absolutely correct. Um, it was very scary. And I think at the time they were, since they were a new set of symptoms and they were not super, super severe, I mean, they got worse down the road, but initially they were very alarming, but I still would drive, which I probably shouldn't have. Um, I still did things, but I tried not to freak out about it. But, you know, when they became more severe, I actually couldn't drive. I would have people drive me, so my family members or, that kind of thing. It would be friends or family who would have to drive me just because I, I didn't feel safe enough. What types of doctors did you see at this point? Yeah, so I went to neurologists. Um, they said everything was clear. Nothing came back as an issue. They basically gave me Xanax and said it's, it's just anxiety, um, which I knew was not correct. But I was going from you know doctors like that to general practitioners, some of the best ones in New York City that were recommended to me, chiropractors, and I ended up seeing someone who was a specialist that my mom ended up finding online somehow. And so that was the one that was able to actually diagnose me with Lyme. So when you got diagnosed with Lyme disease, how did you feel? So I was, to be honest, I was a little relieved, but I also didn't really understand it because I didn't know a lot about Lyme. And so when he, so this was in 2011, he told me that I had Lyme disease. It seemed like it was the very, very early stages. It was not progressive. So if I were to treat it with doxycycline for 28 days, I should be in the clear and it should take care of the problem completely. So I wasn't very concerned. I actually was relieved. Um, I was really excited to finally be on a treatment, have a doctor who I guess I felt understood me or understood my situation and kind of gave me the impression that I would be fine after. So I was excited about it and you know, I ended up taking the treatment and from what I could tell, I was feeling better and I moved on with my life. Now, how did the Lyme disease diagnosis help you socially? Did it now give you the ability to talk to folks and explain to them why you were essentially absent socially for a long period of time? Yes and no. In 2011, I don't think people understood what it was. So if I had said I had Lyme disease, no one, and I also didn't say that for so long because I thought I was carrying it. So I thought I had Lyme disease, but I thought it was cured after being on antibiotics. And then I thought it was normal again. But most people that I spoke to still didn't know what it was. They weren't familiar. They didn't know how it could affect you, the set of symptoms that you could experience or how severe it could be. So most people really still didn't resonate with it. They didn't really understand it like something that, you know, was more familiar, maybe like cancer or, you know, there's a lot of other maybe MS or other chronic illnesses that were more in the public eye at the time. So now, do you believe that your Lyme diagnosis 
was something that tied both your earlier illness and your later illness together? Or do you believe that perhaps you were bitten by a tick and your diagnosis was a consequence of a tick bite around the time that you began to show the symptoms of your second illness? Yeah, well, the second time it happened, I didn't have any recollection of being bit by a tick. Um, my parents did tell me that when I was younger, probably about seven or eight years old, I was bit by a tick. And knowing what I know now, I do believe that the set of symptoms I experienced in both cases are absolutely connected. I think the diagnosis took a lot longer than expected, and that that's part of the issue in my journey. But I do think they're absolutely connect, connected. And whether it was from a tick bite, I'm not sure, but it, it's possible. So Karen, the doctor that your mother had found that diagnosed you with Lyme felt that it wasn't progressive and that you would be cured, but you were sick for at least a year from the time you were 24 to 25 to get this diagnosis. And it could have been in your system dormant for years prior to that. So this doctor still thought that it was caught soon enough to cure you? He did. He said, because I wasn't experiencing symptoms like joint pain, that it didn't seem like it had really impacted me to a great extent. And most likely it was somewhat recent. So that was his take on it. And what type of doctor was he? So he, is, he was a doctor at the time, and I don't know what he is now. He specialized in chronic illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome or, you know, the misunderstood illnesses. So chronic fatigue syndrome was a specialty of his and Lyme disease along with a few others that I can't recall. But he kind of dealt with the more complex cases. That was his thing. And he was located here on Long Island in New York as well, right? Yeah, he was in Roslyn on Long Island. Can you walk us through how you felt when you first started taking the antibiotics? Did you feel better? Did you feel the same? Or did you feel worse when you first started the antibiotics? So since I didn't have too many symptoms of those progressive Lyme um, I guess the other symptoms that you can experience, I didn't feel a lot of uh, negative symptoms with it, but I did notice a dramatic improvement with my fatigue. So that was great. And I was very hopeful just because I was seeing results and I felt like I was on the right path. So yeah, over time, I started feeling a lot better and I seemed to have good results with it. So now fast forward, you're off the doxycycline. The 28 days is now up. Do you remain feeling better or do you feel worse again? So I was starting to feel good. So that after that was prescribed and, and I was treated, I started getting my life back again. I was feeling better than I had felt in the longest time. Um, I was back in fashion at a different company, you know, back to living my life, feeling really good, drinking all the time, going out. I was single um, and I was having a, a great time. I was traveling a lot for the companies that I was working for and coordinating trade shows on my own. So I was doing really well for quite a long time. And then all of a sudden, seven years later, you're 32 and you crash again. Can you walk us through the mm -hmm. lead up to that crash and that ultimate crash that you had? Yeah. So it's funny because so I was in a relationship with my now husband who is Australian. He had moved to New York City with me and then um, he had to renew his visa. So he went to London and I kind of followed. And then that was in 2016. Um, and in 2017, we went back and forth between London and New York. So it was the summer of 2017 that I went to London. I was supposed to be there for three to six months. Um, and I was feeling incredible. I was feeling the best I had felt in forever. I was, you know, socializing, we were exploring, really having the time of our life, just meeting different people and um, adapting to the new culture. 
And I came back to New York when my visa was up and it was almost overnight that I experienced these a whole new other set of symptoms, but the neurological ones came back completely. Um, and I should mention during this time, this was a very stressful time for me just because my life was very much in limbo. So, you know, my husband then, even though he was my boyfriend at the time, he was in London, I was in New York and I was trying to get sponsored to live in London. We weren't engaged yet. I didn't know what was happening when we would be permanently together. And, and the distance was an issue for me. Um, it was something I struggled with just because there was nothing set in stone yet. So that was a, a very stressful event for me. So I was dealing with a lot of stress and then I came home and then we were supposed to get married in uh, a few weeks. And right before my wedding was when I started to feel weird dizziness, feeling really detached or, or shaky, just some odd sensations. And I knew there was something wrong again. And what doctor at this point diagnosed you with Lyme at 32? So at 32, so I was very much dependent on Dr. Silverman when I'd come home from New York just to get little tweak, tweak ups and feel a little bit better or a little boost. But having my track record with him, I always knew what he gave me made me feel almost completely normal or would get me back to the finish line. So he was my go-to doctor at the time. And so when I came back from London and was in New York, I was there for about six to seven months um, because we had some visa issues. So I went to Dr. Silverman and immediately, every single time, I, I ended up having to go on a weekly basis just because of how sick I was feeling. But every single time I would go there, he was just coming up with, it was mold and Lyme. Those were the two things that were coming back up for me. And then my Epstein-Barr was being triggered. So these were all things that were on a weekly and monthly basis, just completely active and not going into a dormant state. So he was the first one who was able to determine what the issues were. And simultaneously, I had worked with other practitioners. And now at this time, so this was in 2018, and there was a lot more familiarity with Lyme and a lot more doctors becoming available. So I ended up using a doctor who worked with organic acid tests, and he was able to confirm based on those results that Lyme was very much active in, in my system. So can you explain to us why you think that the mold was having an impact on the, on the Lyme pathogen becoming more effective in uh, attacking your system? Well, it was interesting because when I was in New York, my sister was living in New York City at the time. So my goal was to get back to London, obviously, with my then boyfriend or fiance, but I had to wait for my visa to go through and to be cleared. So I was kind of bouncing around all over New York City at my friends, at my sister's, and my sister um, was living in an apartment in, in Flatiron. And when I went to her apartment, I had these symptoms of severe stiffness, swelling. My engagement ring, I couldn't put it on or I couldn't take it off. I had this intense fatigue and feeling dizzy. All these symptoms only happened when I would go to her apartment. We found out later on she had a leak above her bed that um, was an old leak that was never fixed. And then it ended up coming out again a few months later. So we were almost positive there was mold there. But so I was bouncing around. So if I slept at someone else's house that didn't have mold, my symptoms were almost completely gone. But at the same time, when I was experiencing these symptoms, I was going to Dr. Silverman and every single time they would come up, 
he would give me one of those kits that were now for Lyme. So he would give me those kits and they, the symptoms were gone immediately. So almost overnight, I would feel like a brand new person. But I was also experiencing these burning sensations in my hands and my feet, complete overheating of my body where I just, I felt like I was having night sweats, but or the flu just all day long. And then, you know, the neurological symptoms were definitely the toughest for me. So all of those were directly related to the mold and to the Lyme. And you mentioned on your pre-interview questionnaire that you did a lot of other things with your doctors, including Dr. Steven Silverman from Roslyn here in New York. And one of them was the Desbio Lyme Kit. Can you talk more about what that Lyme Kit is and how it helped you? Yeah. So the Desbio Lyme Kit, the goal of that is to desensitize you to the Lyme and eventually to prevent it from being active. So it was very similar to what I took for Epstein-Barr or pretty much the same thing in 2004, 2005. And so what he would do is there's strength of, there's a kit that's 500 times, and I don't really know the, the technical details or the, the science behind it, but there's different strengths. And so depending on, I think, how severe your symptoms are, he would treat me with um, either you know, 500 or 1,000 and give me that strength. And he would rotate them so my body wouldn't become immune to them. But basically you would take these vials once a day or twice a day, and it would slowly, for some people slowly, for me, it was very, very quickly. It would just reduce or completely eliminate all the symptoms. So it would reduce or eliminate the symptoms, but it wasn't really fixing the underlying root cause. Is that right. an accurate assessment? Yeah. yeah, it was definitely more of a temporary relief, but it was the only thing that I was able to get relief with. Um, so I basically, you know, for months at a time, I was just going to him and getting multiple kits based on the muscle testing test that he was doing, saying that my body needed them. So I was, you know, going through them constantly throughout the, the seven months that I was home. But yeah, it was very temporary. So if I didn't take it, sorry, if I took it and stopped, it would just, the symptoms would come back. You also noted that you did a lot of IVs to help with your symptoms as well. So did you ever get IV antibiotics or was this more IV immunotherapies that you took? So these were more um, IV immunotherapies. So I did things like glutathione, um, phospholipoline, which was really good for my cognitive enhancement. Um, that really helped me a lot. But glutathione is good more for your liver and detoxifying and strengthening that, which is really important. So those were two things that were really beneficial. I also did vitamin cocktails. So, you know, vitamin C, vitamin Bs, those were all things that seemed to really help me. I had some really good uh, relief from them. Another thing that you mentioned in your pre-interview questionnaire is that you drank something called healing vibration water, or maybe not even drink, you used healing vibration water. So can you describe what that is and how you used it? Yeah. So a friend of mine said, you know, she was someone who was really, really sick for years. Um, she tried everything under the sun, even IV antibiotics for a very long time, you know, tons of different of healing modules. And this is the only thing that gave her her life back. And so she had recommended me to this doctor or practitioner. She's based in upstate New York. And what she does is she does something called bioresonance therapy, where she does a saliva test and she can pretty much tell you what you're dealing with in terms of pathogens, bacteria, viruses, um, you name it. So she basically does a saliva test and she'll verify what you're dealing with and what the healing, so it's called Healers Who Share, that's the brand. And what they have is they 
provide you with these waters that are filled with vibrations and frequencies to, to cancel out that pathogen or bacteria. So there's a lot of science behind it. You know, let's say she found a strain of lime or whatever it was, she would match that exact frequency and give me a bottle of water. So I would take a cap full of that twice a day and you make sure it doesn't touch your mouth so your saliva doesn't affect the frequency. And that's supposed to pretty much cancel out the frequency in your body. So it'll cancel out the, it'll pretty much kill, it'll kill the bacteria or the pathogen, if that makes sense. That's the idea behind it. So the healing water is very similar to sound therapy in, in the bioresonance world where they put on headphones or listening to music with certain frequencies and that those frequencies will then kill the bacteria by canceling them out and actually killing off the bacteria in the body. Is that a similar concept? Yeah, it's pretty much the same exact concept and just designed specifically for your needs. So depending on the bacteria that you find, you, you use this water that is created for that exact frequency. So that's exactly what it is. So the, the doctor who did the healing waters also did some sort of frequency stuff with bioresonance as well. But biomagnetism is something that I found when I came to London. So when I came to London in June of this year, um, which was almost two years after we had applied for a spousal visa, we finally got approval. And I came here and I felt more alone than ever just because the, the market in London is completely different. It's not as progressive there's really no awareness to Lyme, even though there's many people that have it here, but there's a very, very limited number of doctors, practitioners, testing you can do. You know, I felt very isolated. And so I did so much research. And the only thing that I found coming up was biomagnetism. And this was something that I had heard a little bit about, but I wasn't very familiar with. And so I did more research into this and it's very affordable for me compared to, you know, the hundreds or thousands of dollars you can spend on other treatments. So one treatment is about 80 pounds, which is, I would say about hundred us dollars. For some people, it could take three sessions for some others. It could take five sessions to 10 sessions. Everyone's different. But so I was seeing that people were having exceptional results with Lyme specifically with Lyme for some reason, but this is also the same exact idea as the waters. And they started this idea from NASA is the one who created it. I guess when people went to the moon, they came back and people were feeling really sick. Um, astronauts' bodies were out of balance and they were able to achieve homeostasis by balancing their organs or these pathogens with the magnets. So they also do a form of muscle testing to diagnose it, but they do it with your feet. So it's something very different and unique. And I was totally new to this and I didn't really know how to trust it, but I just went with it. And this has been the biggest game changer for me throughout my entire experience. For the last two years almost, I wasn't able to get any significant improvement. You know, I was constantly on the Desbio remedies those kits, that was all I knew that was able to help me or to at least provide me with relief from some of the really severe symptoms. So I've now done about four or five sessions of biomagnetism and I'm not experiencing any symptoms with Lyme right now. And you've also did some other things to help with your symptoms like lymphatic drainage. So can, can you talk to us about why the lymphatic system is so important and what you did to help lymphatic drainage in your body? Yeah. So, you know, the toxins build up in your attic system. So in order to get them out, you have to get things moving. So I did this in conjunction with sweating and detoxing, which is also a really, really important part of my protocol. 
So I would do things like dry brushing. Um, I would even get lymphatic massages um, and they kind of massage your lymph nodes and get things moving from, you know, sometimes they can be very stagnant and things just get stuck there. So that in conjunction with sweating um, was the most important thing for me to be able to properly detox and open my detox pathways. These were things I was always hearing about, but I never really put into practice. Um, and also when I was in New York and before I came back to London, I was so sick that I had a really, really tough time going to saunas on my own. I always had to have my sister come with me because of how intense my symptoms were. I didn't know if I could walk around the city. I took Ubers everywhere. Um, she was basically, you know, the, the person who got me through everything along with my parents, but they would drive me to, to all of my saunas or to my massages or I would just do dry brushing at home and I would do it before the shower. So those were, th those were things that were crucial for me to get to a level of healing that I needed to be. And I still continue with them. So can you talk to us what it was like being engaged, having that high stress lifestyle, and then ultimately getting married while being so sick? That was tough. Um, I will say I was lucky in the sense that I was just on the brink of having the really severe symptoms. So I was able to kind of feel remotely well with the help of Dr. Silverman and the supplements I was taking. So I kind of powered through our wedding and it, I didn't even think about it. You know, I was just so in the moment and his family was there from Australia. My parents were there. We had a, a very small wedding just because of our circumstances. So it was very, very special, but I really think I was lucky because my, um, the severity of the symptoms really didn't happen until right really after he left to go back to London so yeah I really powered through those <laughs> I was very lucky so fast forwarding to today how are you today and how sustainable has this treatment really been I'm doing really well so this is the first treatment that I've actually noticed severely significant growth with and I'm finally at a point where I don't have any symptoms um, and this is the first first time for me in, in two years that I've had no Lyme symptoms. So I'm in a really good place. Um, I spent, you know, the last five months going to hot yoga three to five times a week or the sauna and detoxing. And then the last two months, I think it's been about two months now um, of doing biomagnetism. And I think that's really getting me to the finish line. So I'm in a really good place. I'm finally feeling much more independent. You know, I was very dependent on people around me when I was in New York and I'm getting my independence back, back into a routine. I'm up early every morning. I take my dog out for a long walk. Then I do some work. I'm able to have social outings. I can go to dinners. I can have drinks once in a while. I can travel. Um, and for the first time in my life, I'm actually feeling almost clearer than ever or, you know, almost a more sense of uh, normalcy than I have felt in the longest time. Now, do you think this protocol is a game changer in that if you had located this earlier, you wouldn't have had all the challenges that you did have? Or do you believe that you unpeeled the onion and now you're to the point where this protocol is sort of the final piece in your healing journey? Uh, you know what? I do think there are layers. I think I'm still going through layers and I probably will continue to heal uh, little by little. But I do think for me in, in particular, I think having the mold exposure in New York was so extreme. It was really preventing me from feeling better. I do think that, and then, you know, removing myself from those environments, getting in cleaner environments, that was 
definitely essential for me to get to the next level of healing. I don't know if I would have felt better if I was doing treatments like this while still being in those environments. I think if you're dealing with Lyme or something like Lyme, you really need to make sure your environment's clean. So I think that's the most important thing. I then think, you know, detoxing is absolutely essential. So going to the saunas, making sure you're able to detox all the toxins that you're ingesting or that the Lyme is producing. And then I think for me, the biomagnetism was the, you know, almost the last step for me in my healing process. And I think that that was just kind of the way it worked. But I think there's healing internally, there's externally, and then environmentally, all of that needs to be taken into consideration. But I do always think that you're kind of healing on a layer to layer basis throughout this journey. One of the things that I noticed about or one of the patterns I noticed during the course of the time that you've been sharing your story is that every time you get sick, you go on a new career path. And mm -hmm. uh, your most recent career path is one where you're now in the healing environment yourself, where you're working for an app that's designed to help people who are suffering from chronic illnesses deal with their social isolation. Talk to us about how your illness has changed your career path and why that has been the case and how that's now taking, to the taking you to a place now where both professionally and personally through your social media, especially with your Instagram, which is, by the way, beautiful and really well done, where you're, Thank you. you're reaching out to other folks and you're trying to help other folks overcome the challenges uh, that they're facing based on your experience. Yeah, well, I will say, so, you know, in the first portion of my life where I felt very isolated, I didn't think anyone understood me. I felt completely alone, unsupported, all of those things. It caused me to not want to talk about it. I didn't think people understood, and I had a really tough time opening up about it. I, I think I became kind of guarded. But when I came back from London the first time and, and went back to New York, I had seen a friend of mine post on Instagram he had just recovered from Lyme disease, and, and I was blown away because I had no idea that he had Lyme or was dealing with Lyme, and I didn't know many people that were either. So we had connected. At the time, I was working for, so I was freelancing because I was back and forth in London. I wasn't legally able to work without being sponsored, so I was working for a U.S.-based company in the real estate space doing, um, so I was basically managing global partnerships for the luxury travel industry, which at the time I thought was my dream job. I was loving it and everything was great. But so when I went back to New York, I connected with my friend. And so he ended up hopping on a phone call with me and was telling me, you know, he also just met one of his other friends who found out they had Lyme. And long story short, we had all connected they, the two of them became the founders of the company, WANA, which stands for We Are Not Alone. They both have had extensive journeys, you know, difficulties getting diagnosed, feeling completely alone, not knowing how to treat it, not having the right treatment, not having the right resources. And so fast forward to almost a year later, I came back to New York for a second time and, and they were like, listen, like, you know, we're moving forward with this app. We've raised a lot of money and we'd love for you to help with the content for it if you're available. So at the time, I was very, very sick. Um, this was almost a year ago. So this was January of 2019. And this was when I was just in the throes of, you know, not feeling well, not getting any relief. And this ended up just becoming just a part-time thing that I was enjoying to help with and making some extra money while I was still super sick and not able to work. And it made me realize that I loved what I was doing. I loved 
being able to contribute to something that was for me so rewarding and something that I could relate to on another level. And I think also this entire journey, especially with being, you know, how sick you can become, I started to shed the materialism and the the material things that were once important to me. And I only wanted to invest my time in something that would either help myself or help others um, on a personal and emotional level. This was something that was massively rewarding for me. Uh, you know, I was enjoying sourcing all these content, all the different content and podcasts and books and uh, different videos that were on the internet and curating them for, you know, 200 to 300 different diagnoses or treatments. But it really helped me to, to kind of fill a void in my life that I didn't know I needed and contribute while I was still healing and sick and connect with an entire industry of people that I had no idea were also sharing these same struggles as I was. So it was almost kind of empowering, you know, for the first time in my life, I didn't feel alone anymore. You know, there were dozens and dozens of people who I was meeting through the, the two founders and just on my own that I had found out also had similar backgrounds to, to what I experienced um, and were still either in their journeys or on the other side of it. So for the first time, I started speaking up about it and I decided I wasn't going to feel ashamed about it and I was going to help other people you know, because maybe they were struggling with it. And so occasionally I would post things on Instagram and I would get people saying, you know, I think I might have Lyme or, oh my God, I had no idea you were dealing with this. I also got diagnosed with Lyme. And one guy was telling me, it was a friend of mine who I had had seen a year prior and he was telling me he was paralyzed in his face and still has issues. But, you know, it connected me to a whole new network of people that I'm so grateful for. Um, and exposed me to a new career path that I never anticipated in a million years. So I'm really grateful for that. And then eventually, you know, throughout this period of my time, when you're in this phase of redirection and completely shifting your life and, you know, it's just kind of happening for you also and, and you don't even realize it. But the one thing for me that also helped me in my recovery, and I think this is important for people too, is finding a creative outlet. So that for me is photography. And that was something that always lit me up. So in 20, I think it was 2013, I started this Instagram and it was about my love for rooftops in New York City, just because I I was very social at the time. I was going out and I loved taking photos of different rooftops or venues. So I made an Instagram, but I would post for a few months and I would stop. Then I would post again and, you know, I'd be too busy going out or working or drinking or socializing that I just kind of would stop with it. But for some reason, when I was really sick and not feeling great, I had this urge to just create. And it's something, you know, spending so much time alone and and not socializing and not doing those things, you realize what are your desires. And, you know, it gave me a sense of purpose to go out and do something, you know, like taking photos. So I started in New York, actually, and on days when I wasn't feeling well, because I started feeling like I couldn't be independent. Like I had said, I was very, I was very dependent on my sister to go with me everywhere. And I was like, one day I was like, you know what, I'm going to just go out. I'm going to go three blocks away. I can walk there. I'll be okay. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to take a photo of the rooftop and I'm just going to get back into this. And I remember that day. It was the most gorgeous day. It was blue skies and like 75 degrees. 
And I was so proud of myself for walking just even a few blocks, which was really a big deal for me when I was feeling so unwell and knowing that I could do that. So that was a major push for me to, to kind of overcome these fears that I had just inherited from being really sick and to get back out of my comfort zone and do something I love. And so now that is something that I am really exploring. And for the first time, I'm deciding to, to make it a commitment or sorry, a full-time commitment. Um, and that's something I've taken into my journey in London. So that's been an important part of recovery mentally for me. And just part of, you know, your, your lifestyle shifting and the ability that going through something like this gives you, gives you new opportunities and um, allows you to kind of rediscover your talents and your passions and what your purposes are. So yeah, it's been kind of special in a sense this entire journey has made me so much more in tune with myself and really spiritual, which I, I never, you know, 10 years, I wouldn't have considered myself a spiritual person at all, but it really allows you to kind of put yourself first and take a new look in life and a completely different perspective. So that's something I'm actually very, very grateful for. And, you know, I'm excited to start this whole new chapter of my life with a new set of eyes and appreciation. Who was the one person that helped you the most when you were going through all of the challenges that you've had to face on this very challenging Lyme disease journey? My sister was definitely my, she was, you know, my family was supportive and, and they had frustrations too. But my sister was always the most supportive person for me physically and mentally. So she, her and I are very close, but she always knew that what I was going through was real. And I think she always did her best to kind of keep my spirits up and either come with me if she knew I wasn't feeling well and, you know, maybe take me out if I needed to get fresh air or, you know, just stay in with me on days that I just couldn't do anything. But she was really generous with her support. So now I have the final question. And that is, <laughs> if you finish this podcast and you receive the phone call from your sister, the person who is been the closest and the most supportive of you on this journey. And she said to you that she had a tick biting her on her arm. What would you tell her to do so that she could avoid all the challenges that you've had to face on your Lyme disease journey? Yeah. Well, so I do think now, now that I know, you know, where my treatment went wrong, I think antibiotics is, is probably helpful, but it's only helpful for somebody who is, has just been bit and they need to be on it for a certain period of time. So I would make sure she's on antibiotics, probably doxycycline or whatever else is available for at least two to three months, just to make sure she was taking care of it appropriately, but also detoxifying. Uh, I would make sure she's going to the sauna with me. I would go with her every day, even if that's possible, and definitely taking some you know, immune support. But I think that would be the most important thing is making sure you're on an antibiotic for at least two to three months because 28 days does not cut it. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Karen Maloney. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Karen Maloney, visit her Instagram at M-S-K-A-R-E-N-J-A-N-E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, 
Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Take Weekend podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.